What's up, crew? Welcome to Powerline Podcast. I am your founder and host. My name is Ryan Lucas. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoy this content. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, if you're a long-time listener, you know I appreciate you. I encourage you guys to check in with me on social. You can find me on Instagram at Powerline Podcast. That's where I'm most active. And I'm moving a lot to TikTok, guys. I am going to start... Um, start really moving to TikTok. And I know some of you out there are like, ah, TikTok, but there's a lot of line hands on TikTok. So I'd encourage you to just get on there, create an account, go follow me. It's Ryan W. Lucas on TikTok and start joining the, joining the tribe on, on the old TikTok. It's a good platform. Honestly, I have a lot of fun on it and I think you guys are going to find it's a good place to connect with the group. Anyway, before we get into this episode, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, before we get into that though, before I get into talking about it, we're just going to go to a word from the sponsors for today's episode, Tallman Equipment and Linestar Utility Supply. Since 1952, Tolman Equipment has been trusted by linemen to have the tools they need to get the job done right. From ACSR cutters to ZG6 chain hoists, auger bits to voltage testers, and every tool in between, you can trust Tolman to have it. Tolman Equipment, trusted by linemen since 1952. Find us online at tolmanequipment.com. If you're looking for a lineman's tools and specialty equipment in Canada, Linestar Utility Supply has been your shop since 2005. They've got four offices across Canada, Surrey, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Mississauga. And did you know that they also service the tools they sell with warranty and repair facilities at each location? Linestar is proud to be an authorized stocking distributor for Klein Tools. If you want more information, please reach out to the nearest office for expert help or visit them at linestar.ca. All right, guys, if you've been listening to Powerline Podcast for a while, then you kind of get the drift of what I'm trying to create here. And if not, this is your first time listening. This is this is what I'm trying to create. I'm, I bring on guests from the industry, from the Powerline industry, linemen, line workers, safety workers, directly industry-related uh, people to share their wisdom, their stories, their knowledge. We can learn from their experiences and enjoy their stories. That's one aspect of the podcast. The other aspect of this podcast, and the other thing I'm trying to do is introduce you guys to other genres and people from other genres in life that have really powerful things and power, powerful things to say and teach and really powerful stories and they have a they have a message they're trying to get to the world so i'm trying to introduce you guys to them to see if what they say resonates with you so today's conversation is with one of those guys super interesting guy i love this guy it was a great conversation his name is brian muka and he's the founder of fear sherpa he also just goes by that name fear sherpa you can look him up on social as a fear sherpa and there's a reason he calls himself the fear Sherpa. Fear is your, if, if you haven't guessed already, today's conversations, we're gonna be talking a lot about fear. Fear is your ally, you guys. It's not an enemy, it's actually an ally. We're gonna talk everything fear related with Brian Muka today. Brian's a former special operations officer for the US Navy, and not just any special operations, he was an EOD bomb tech. So as you can imagine, Brian knows a thing or two about fear and how to harness fear and how to operate 
and the day-to-day um, just going along using fear as your ally. So anyway, like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you too, too. So let's just jump right into it. Enjoy. Brian Muka. I'm noticing in my travels, uh, assuming the wise warrior king, uh, elder energy and mm. sharing wisdom with younger people and what a joy that is coupled with the balance of allowing people to have their own experiences. So yeah. not, not, uh, unrequested advice, but you know, that sage, uh, concern that sage insight. Uh, and I imagine that's very relevant to your work. Uh, with your linemen and the mark you'd like to leave on the world. It resonates a lot with the mark I'd like to leave, you know, these two footsteps, you know, when I'm gone, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. I like that. Well, let's, uh, let's get rolling on this then. Um, first off, welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, fear Sherpa as you go by. I'm excited for this conversation. And we, talked briefly before for half an hour or so. And I came away from that combo just glowing as well. And my old man was in the building and he came, came out and he's like, who are you talking to? He's like, your whole mood just changed. I'm like, yeah, super cool guy. I went on and on about him. So yeah, it was a, it was a good energy exchange. Uh, I was pumped and I'm expecting the same sort of energy exchange out of this conversation. So welcome to the Powerline podcast. Man, uh, honored to be here, man. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> cool. Um, I, we talked about it briefly. I know you, you, you kind of got the audience, but just so you know who you're primarily talking to in this, in this podcast is blue collar, uh, power line industry workers. There is other, other people listening as well from other genres, like, uh, first responders, some firefighters, law enforcement, some ex-military. So, um, that's primarily the audience. Um, so that's who you're going to be talking to today. Roger that. Let's, let's send it. Let's go. Let's go with a, uh, let's get into a little bit of your background. Um, first off, Fear Sherpa, super, super cool name. I, I just dig it. It sticks. I love it. So I want to get into how, how you came about uh, the whole Fear Sherpa thing, but let's go into a little bit of your background and uh, yeah, get started with that. How far back would you like to go, sir? Um, let's start with, let, let's, where'd you grow up? Let's just start with that. Where'd you grow up? And yeah, what was man, I grew up in uh, central New Jersey, East coast. Uh, I was uh, four turns away from the ocean. Uh, love of the sea on under and around water has been my uh, happy place for a very long time. Uh, I was a beach lifeguard, learned how to surf, <clears throat> fell in love with the ocean. Um, I went to school in Philadelphia uh, Drexel University. I had a Navy NROTC scholarship. I uh, studied engineering. Uh, thank God I studied engineering because I use none of it now. Uh, you know, so there's that. Uh, but I needed that. I needed that to do what I was going to do in the Navy. Uh, I was a uh, I was a special operations officer uh, in the explosive ordnance disposal community. Uh, worked a lot. Our guys worked a lot with SEALs. I didn't I didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, you know, our typical work week. You know, Monday, we would do uh, remote entry with robots. Tuesday, we might be at the shooting range. Uh, Wednesday, we might be jumping out of helicopters and getting back into them uh, with all of our dive gear. 
Thursday doing airplane jump operations, and then Friday uh, flying all over the world to support the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, that was our that was our home life, and then man, everything from 300 feet underneath the surface of the ocean to top of Everest, right, and all the gear in between. So, so I got to live my boyhood dream. What took, of- you, what took you into that? Like what what made young Brian go? I want to be a ordnance disposer guy. <laughs> That's a long story. Uh, from as early as I can remember, I wanted to be a steely eyed missile man. I wanted to ride rocket ships into outer space. Right. Uh, I watched top gun determined to become a fighter pilot. Then I lost all of that. I went to New Jersey boys state put on by the veterans of foreign wars, teaching our young people how to be true citizens, how to have an active role, uh, in this Republic. Um, yeah, they sponsored all of it. They did all the fundraising for rented out Ryder university for a week. Got some great speakers, great experience. And I, I met, I saw this, I caught this lesson and it was this guy in his eighties, uh, definitely a world war II veteran. He had a Walker. Somebody left a gun wrapper. They just tossed it. They missed the garbage can guy hobbles over in his Walker and like real time bends over, picks it up comes back up, throws it away. My mind was blown, right? In that moment, I learned I wanted to stand the watch for that man when he no longer could, right? You had it, I got it. It wasn't enough that you served your country in World War II. Uh, it wasn't enough that you said goodbye to a lot of your good friends on the battlefield. You came back and fought to make America better. I owe that guy. Thank you, Heck yeah. right? Uh, I was enamored with science. And I went to Drexel studying engineering. I wanted to harness the power of the hot rock, right? I wanted to run nuclear reactors underwater on submarines. My sophomore year of college, I got to do that. I didn't run the reactor, right? I was a prince in the Navy and I got to, I was being recruited for the, the, the nuclear Navy. Uh, I spent 28 days with the USS Olympia. I met the boat in Saipan, which is one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been to. I think we spent five days on the beach before I even looked at a Navy ship. It was awesome. I was 19. It was the coolest cruise I think anybody had in the entire Navy. Then we spent five days underwater and I was quickly cured of any desire to become a submariner running nuclear reactors. Uh, they turn the oxygen way down. It's like living inside of a clock. And man, those junior officers were slaves. Yeah. Uh, we had a junior officer there. Uh, we'd have movie night every night with the captain. One of the J- junior officers was there and he goes, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I have so much work to do. I haven't slept in 36 hours. I am not actually allowed to watch movies until I'm qualified on the boat. The captain was asleep. I'm like, okay, heard. So I no longer wanted to be a, a, a nuclear engineer. And then right about the same time, I was, on the, I was on the cycling team. I had done a lot of triathlons. I was really good in the water. And my, senior, my sophomore class advisor, Sean Simmons, uh, his roommate uh, was a big deal in the EOD community. And, you know, he had, uh, he was the class leader uh, at Bud's and then came back to driving ships. And then he would finish out of his career as an army special operation or special forces uh, senior enlist, uh, enlisted operator. Uh, and now he's a, a Navy doctor on an amphib cruise ship, uh, LSD uh, landing. I don't forget what that stands for. And he's like, hey, uh, you should start coming to our explosive ordnance disposal morning PT. And he would beat the snot out of us. And I love the way it sucked. 
And he believed in me more than I did. And we architected this plan. It involved grades, physicality. And I would, uh, my dad actually, so this was totally meant to be. Uh, my dad was working for Lockheed Martin, running a, a Lean Six Sigma program, both a green belt and a black belt process improvement uh, deal. And one of the commanders that came through his class, Navy commanders, <coughs> was like, hey, what, tell me about your son. He goes, yeah, he's a Navy ROTC. He wants to be a bomb tech. And the commander goes, I actually run midshipman summer cruises out of Norfolk. And I just put together a, a package for the Naval Academy guys and girls that qualify to go do two weeks as an EOD uh, midshipman cruise. Would your son be interested? I'll ask him. Yes. Send me, right? So I told my, uh, my command I would need orders. Like, that's fine. We'll write you no cost orders, but you got to pay your whole way for that. I'm like, done. I think I spent 260 bucks for lodging and food for those two weeks. I got to jump out of helicopters. Uh, we got to dispose of uh, F-14 flare pods. Uh, we had to do some really cool team building, repelling and fast roping. I was like, man, I'm going to earn one of those rigorous belts, right? So the special operations, special warfare guys, uh, we all wear these uh, two-inch tubular nylon belts with a helicopter loop in it so you can do air ops, and that's just part of your uniform. I could have gone to the exchange and bought one for like 30 bucks, but I wanted to earn one of those. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget the day I was in my management information systems class, uh, Chris Mosco and Chase Durbin. Chris uh, became a bomb tech. Uh, he was killed in Afghanistan, uh, April. Uh, I think that was uh, eight years ago. Uh, I pinned him at dive school and I just, anytime I get to speak his name, I do it. Absolutely. Uh, you understand why yep. they were in class and my advisor called and said, Brian, you got it. You did get it is what he said. I said, excuse me, sir. He said, you did get it. I'm like, uh, I kept hearing you didn't. Right. And he's like, fine. Muko, like, what are you not getting that you're going to be an EOD officer, man? You got selected. And I remember the next morning at zero dark 30, it was five 30 in the morning at Franklin field, uh, just screaming hoo ya. Like I was, I, I got selected and little did I know my journey was about to begin. That's fat. Oh, such, such a cool story. And if anyone in the audience isn't picking up on um, kind of what we're going to be talking about today, the, the name you go by fear Sherpa and your company and your business and what you're doing with fear Sherpa, your background as an EOD tech and mixing the two um, we're going to talk about managing fear, um, managing risk and dealing mm -hmm. with fear today. Super cool. Let's talk about, like, when did you start to learn about the techniques? Like, is this something the military te actually teaches you and works you through how to deal with the fear? Or they just put you in front of the fear and you got to figure it out on your own. Uh, they certainly supply an endless supply of uh, experiences to practice harnessing fear, right? Right. That, that and plenty, right? Um, situations, responsibilities, and danger, right? All of it. Um, <clears throat> I started learning this. Uh, let's see, let me just check in a second about what I actually learned in the Navy about handling fear, the box breathing. That was helpful. Stole that from the seals four in hold for four out for four empty for four. Right. It's a great way to quiet the nervous system and the calmer our minds can be, the more we see. So a lot of our shooting drills were all about, Hey, what happens when the cost of cocktail hits of adrenaline? Right, so in movies, you see people slap the, their uh, firearm with their palm. Looks cool, actually very useful. Because in the heat of combat, this is a fine motor skill, my thumb. 
this is a macro motor with my hand. I'm gonna hit it with some part of my hand and release the slide so I have a, uh, my guns ready. But I started learning this uh, when I was little. And my dad loves telling the story when I was about eight years old. My dad was a track star. He was a great runner, never played baseball and he wanted to have a catch with me. And I learned my dad did a lot of things uh, educationally to become the best dad he knew how to be. One of them was, was learning how to catch a baseball from an eight-year-old. The eight-year-old happened to be his son. We were out having a catch one day and he would like move his body away to like give him all the distance. I'm like, dad, what are you, what are you doing? You know? And he goes, I'm just catching the ball. I'm like, uh, you gotta get in front of it. And he goes, yeah, but I can get hit. And, and to my, you know, doctor educated father, Hey, don't be an idiot. That's what you have reactions for. And it was like exactly the language that needed to like pierce through his armor to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to get in front of the ball. So from the time of eight years old, I've been teaching people how to get in front of what feels scary, uh, but isn't dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. And that's all the preparation for the scary, extremely dangerous that if we run away, we'll get killed, right? right? We don't always have the option of running away. Often we have to run right through the jaws of fear, you know, to be the men and, and the people uh, that our communities require, right? Uh, fast forward a little bit, high school. Um, I was a musician, I am a musician. Uh, I found myself on stage a lot. I got to play Tony in West Side Story. You know, that was incredible. I love that. Um, and the first half of high school, uh, I would get terrible stage fright. And you know what I mean, right? The, the butterflies, the tinglys, the holy crap, I'm freaking nervous, right? And I think the start of my junior year, I started to rewrite the story. What if this was the feeling I get before I do something awesome? And so I wrote the story around what adrenaline me and now I freaking love it. This is crazy because this is something that like everybody deals with and it's not talked about a lot or it's not explained in that, in this way often. What were the things, what were the things in the middle? Like what's the scariest thing that really drove this home in the military? Some of the scariest things you did. Uh, I've got two stories. So if I forget the diving story, remind me of that, but I'm going to tell you the nighttime skydiving first. So I got to go home early from deployment. I made a great relationship with my mentor. He was a DevGrew operator. Uh, love that guy. He saw something in me when I didn't. Uh, and I asked Rod after, you know, working with him for five and a half months, day in and day out. Um, hey, can I go to military free fall school? He said, all right, I'm the training officer. I'll send you, but you got to graduate. Roger that, sir. I got it. So jumping out of airplanes was easy. Fairly easy, you know. Uh, they have a great curriculum. I did it at Otai Lakes here near the Olympic Training Center in San Diego. Um, <clears throat> it's great. I uh, really had a knack for it. I spent a fair amount of time in the wind tunnel and uh, I knew how to fly. Um, and then to graduate, you had to do five nighttime skydives. So we get there late. We get there at about, I don't know, four or four o'clock, start prepping gear. You know, sunsets around 6.30. So they spool it. They spooled the jet up, you know, the, the turboprop uh, sky van that we're going to be jumping out of. 6.15, you hear the wine, so smell it. We got all of our pre-checks done. We've got all of our chem lights installed in our uh, altimeters and our, on our uh, pack trays. And we load in the aircraft. 6.30, we take off. Watch the sunset. Watch the sunset go over the, over the horizon right at takeoff. And then we got to 13,500 feet and got to watch sunset all over again. <laughs> and we all wondered how we would fare jumping into the, the, the inky blackness of night. 
So it was, uh, you know, dusk and, uh, you know, we're over the drop zone and I was the first guy out. So I got to jump with an instructor. So we were doing hand touches and flipping and like playing Peter Pan in the sky. Like I felt like I stole something cause you're not allowed to do that on your own. But if you have an instructor, you can do whatever you want. So that was cool. Right. So we land, re repack up. We do that jump again, except this time it's going to be dark. Right. We take off in the black of night. All you can see is the chem lights. Right. And uh, this is where I wrote the, the breathe, smile, gratitude. Like I needed an emergency procedure to jump out of airplanes because if I watch somebody fall away, so like if I'm in the door and the person jumps out right before me, the airplane gets lighter and goes up and then you watch them like peel away and your body's like, did I just watch that guy die? Is that what just happened? Right? And you're so high, like the ground doesn't make any sense. You know, you're two and a half miles up. So I would look at the wing, I would take a deep breath and imagine the slide, right? And in my work, that, that translated into this emergency procedure, breathe, <sighs> smile. The smile is the shortcut to go from, holy shit, I'm nervous, to I'm about to do something exciting, right? And then gratitude. If I'm feeling gratitude, I can't feel anger or fear. So that's how I shorted the, the fear response in nighttime skydiving. Is that something you just put together? Those three things you just you it put is, them yeah. together. Yeah, I want that to be synonymous with my work, right? Breathe, smile, gratitude, right? The breath is how we take command of our physiology and our mind all over again. The mm -hmm. smiling changes the story, and then there's the gratitude, the spirituality part. And I could talk for days on each of those. Gone really deep on the breath. You know, I'm a master certified Wim Hof instructor. Today is like day 915 in a row of practicing breath work, and I'm still learning stuff. Uh, immersed in the story work, like with Mark England and Bledsoe and those guys. And then the gratitude, man, the spirituality, the, what is, what is life in the universe teaching me? How, how is God in the universe working through me and with me for the through me, uh, sorry, through we, with we, right? How can we support the collective? Uh, yeah, that's how that all started. So, so back to the story, toes are over the edge, two and a half miles up and it's time to go green light. Breathe, really smile, gratitude, and leap into the blackness. Single scariest physical thing I've ever experienced. And over very quick. Exhilarating, right? <laughs> so uh, at the end of the men's retreat, I don't know. Uh, it was about three weeks ago. I was doing breath work in my home in Oceanside. And, uh, you know, doing the breath squeeze. It's getting dark, right? I'm air hungry. And then in the, my field of vision pops this miraculous eclipse. The dark rock in front of the gloriousness of the sun, right? Actually, it looks like that for you guys. Yeah, yeah there we go. Darkest, blackest of the night, followed by heaven, right? That's how I think fear works. Hmm. Fear is the gatekeeper for heaven. Tim Grover, the uh, trainer for uh, Michael Jordan in his book, uh, Relentless, in his YouTube work, um, if you'd like to go to heaven, the path is directly through hell. That's a good quote. And so that the, 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 uh, the fear love eclipse has become the model. And that when the darkness comes up, when the I don't feel like it, I'm scared, I'll do it tomorrow comes up, uh, it becomes the North Star of everything that's on the other side of the fear, right? Um, and then the Rumi quote that I love, that which we're seeking is seeking us. That means that the success and the abundance and everything on the other side of fear is rooting for us to choose it.
So you're talking about fear being uh, a time to like pay attention. Um, not so much as uh, a place to hang out in, but like it's a, it's a response. Like it's a good thing. Like almost like controlled, but like a good thing. It's time to like wake up, pay attention and, and take action. Yeah. So I invite you and the, uh, the listeners to, to close your eyes and imagine the most beautiful day that you can picture on the beach. Right, so you've got the smell of the salt air. You can hear the seagulls on between your toes, and the sun on your skin. Just drink that in for a second. That's heaven for me. That's heaven on earth for me. I love that. Right. Yep. Now I want you to feel where the wind's coming from, straight in your face. Feels warm, right? Now all of a sudden, the wind changes direction, and now it feels cold. Right. So you you come out of your slice of heaven. You look to the direction of the wind, and those are thunderstorms coming, right? The storm is coming, the wind's picking up, and everybody starts making a mad dash for uh, the safety of their homes and their cars, right? Let's take the thunderstorm out of it. Let's just say it's just a regular storm, right? Well, those of us trained in fear response will go into their car or their shed, grab the board, grab their kites. We're going to go play in the storm, right? That's what fear does. It, it allows us, like, Snap out of it, man. Here's the smelling sauce. You need to pay attention, right? It's not the safe thing that you thought that you were in. And safety is an illusion too, by the way, right? We feel safe, but yet we're hurling through the galaxy at, you know, thousands of miles an hour, you know, um, safety is an illusion. But in, in the short term, in the immediate survival, fear is the thing that's like, hey, wake up. Now, generally what happens is two houses with fear, right? There's fear and love. It's very simple model, right? But essentially there's the two emotions. So in fear, we've got like resentment, shame, guilt, worry, doubt, torment, all that stuff, right? The key thing is the discernment, the discrimination between what am I imagining and what is actual danger, right? So actual danger, like being uh, maybe on the roof when it's raining, probably not a good app, right? There's some danger in that. Um, now, from my sales career, uh, worry could be like, what if I don't make the sale? Well, then I'm not going to hit my quota. And then I'm, I'm going to be on a program, right? And uh, if I'm on a program, I'm probably going to get fired. And if I get fired, uh, I'm probably going to lose my house, and I will certainly lose my wife and kids. Mark Twain said, I'm an old man, and I've known a great number of tragedies, few of which have come true. We suffer way more in imagination than we do in reality, right? And so my work is all about how do we remove the internal resistance and how do we see what's worry and imagination and converting the mind into visualizing and attracting everything that we want? Because it's the story of the two wolves, yeah. right? Do we feed the, the love wolf or do we, do we feed the fear wolf? So line workers and um, so I want to talk about two things, managing risk, managing fear as it relates to what we do in our job and then in your personal life. Cause there's a bit of a separation there. Us as workers in our, in our job, we take, we take risks. We're actually uh, very unfortunate losing. It's always been a high risk job. Uh, we deal with a lot of different things that can get you heavy equipment, traffic, helicopters, heights, electricity, lots of things. Nature. Yeah. <laughs> And you're taking, uh, you're making decisions on a regular that could be life and death. 
decisions. There's safety practices in place. There's training. There's all these things. But managing risk and managing that risk better, what we can do personally on a personal level to manage the risk during the day at work. Let's start with that. Well, so there's two things, right? So actually there's three, I'll draw this for you. Pre, during, and post, okay? Here's the model. What you're asking me is about that part of the model, the in the moment decision, okay? Yep. So let's say we go upstream to the pre, right? Say you had a knockout, drag out fight with your wife and you think you're gonna get divorced. Slept like shit because you're worried about having this conversation. Didn't take your self-care, didn't eat the food, didn't do the breath work, didn't exercise, right? So are you showing up with a full cup or an empty cup? Yeah, I'm, I'm distracted, yeah. right? So if you're asking me what to do in the moment, it has everything to do with what I did leading up to the incident, Roger. the pre-incident, the pre-decision, right? Now there's a little spot right before that. There's the, the what is my practice to be as centered as possible before I go flirt with danger? Raise smile gratitude, right? Maybe you need six breaths, right? Chris Haddonfield, one of my favorite astronauts, he talked about giving himself the space of a single breath to solve a problem. Four seconds in, four seconds out, eight seconds. And in mastering the breath and our physiology, we can get our minds under control, right? So we have a decision, either become the calmest person in the room or find the calmest person in the room, right? Calm is contagious, just like panic, right? Let's help the calm side. So we can step away from the line, get a different perspective and literally see more. Like in danger, we tend to tunnel vision. <sighs> I got this, right? It opens up and I can see more. Then, um, you know, you've got your, all your emergency procedures, which you've already rehearsed before the moment. What happens if I lose my ground? What happens if the bucket truck? What happens if, uh, you know, the helicopter touches a rotor blade to the wires? Uh, I'm just, brand, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe some of those are relevant or not, right? 100%. So you've got your emergency procedures that you practiced right now. We're talking about the OODA loop, right? The O O D A. This is general uh, Boyd grandfather of the, the U S um, air to air combat. He created the A-10 Warhog, the F-16 genius, right? So the OODA loop and it works like this. So you've got the, the observe on the top. Uh, you've got the orient. You've got the decide and the action, right? We can't control what we observe, right? We're just scanning, I'm present, just vigilant, right? Fear sets off, right? Now I'm orienting myself to danger. I still don't know what the danger is, something's on fire and I don't know what it is yet, right? There's an electrical fire. Oh, great, awesome, what's going on? I don't know yet. And then between the, uh, orient the orientation and the decision, we'll make a decision what we think it is, right? And then the emergency procedure kicks in. I've already practiced that. I already know what it is, right? So we're shorting the loop in, in the only way that we know how, and then we take bold action. You know, not half-assed, you know, being decisive in crisis, right? Messy action now is better than perfect action later, right? And then finally, you've got the post, right? So it didn't kill you. We're still here on this podcast. You and I flirted with danger and lived to tell the tale. And that's the stuff that wisdom is made out of, right? Which is why we're podcasting and, and we've gone to the fringes and we've come back with elixir, right? We ran experiments and it's our duty to share uh, with, our, with our communities what we've learned, what we've lived through. All of our rules in exposed warden's disposal have been written in blood, right? 100%. So now there's the post-blast report from, our, from, the, from the bomb technician, right? From the lineman, 
here's what I observed, here's what happened, here's what we do better in the future. And that goes back to the pre. How can I better prepare for this? Okay, I probably should have drank some coffee and I probably should have kissed my wife goodbye and just told her how much I love her, you know? Whatever the thing is, the in the moment is affected. It's like the, everybody's got like a really good morning routine. The professionals have a good evening routine, how to shut down the jet engine, right? This is, this is, I like to spend some time in this um, and let this sink into the people listening because this isn't, this isn't what you get trained when you're training to be a lineman. Um, you get put in these risky situations and you get this, like you said, this tunnel vision, it's the, the job, you're focused on the job and you've got some safety gear, you've got harnesses for heights, you've got practices you've learned and they've drilled into you. That's part of the pre you're learning and training for the job. These other things that I've been talking about more and more lately as I've been learning them about breath work and mm. how that's like in the pre as well, how you can, you should be training for that. You should be training physically. You should be training in breath work so that when you're put in these situations, like I've heard you say on, on another episode that I, I listened to of yours, you're skydiving and you were doing a civilian dive and you reached for your cord and it wasn't where you thought it was going to be. Took a breath. Oh yeah. I'm in a civilian shoot. It's in a different location, pulled it, landed safe, all good. But that breath was trained into you. Right. So I didn't have to think about it. Right. Yeah. It was, spent, spent some time talking about, about training breath work. Of course. Let's experience it first before I talk about it. Sure. Cause there's only so much I can art even as a writer, I'm limited by my ability to articulate what breath work is. So, uh, we're going to do six breaths together. Okay. It'll be, <clears throat> this will be a minute of our lives. Four seconds in four seconds out. I want you guys to breathe in through your nose, uh, and into your belly and out your mouth. Okay. So let's all do that together. The last one, uh, we'll take a breath in the last one. I'll say last breath fully in and squeeze and squeeze it, you know, full lungs and then let go slowly. Right. That'll be the evolution about a minute. So enough talking. Let's skydive. Let's go. So fully in. Let go. Big breath in. Let go of all attention. In. Oh, make sure you're not driving when you're doing this. Last two, fully in. Really relax. Last one, fully in and hold. Squeeze. Slowly out. I see your smile. Yep. Feels different. What's going on in your head right now? I'm a lot more chill. Yeah. Do you, notice a bit. Do you notice what's happening in your body? Lighter. Very much lighter. lighter. I notice my blood vessels changing. I notice mm -hmm. my heart changing. Yep. There's so much physiological stuff. If we pay attention to that, there's no space for the monkey mind. We get back to the monk way of thinking. Detached, clear, focused, fearless. It's as simple as training that. Like even that, that exercise alone, um, simple as training that so that it comes in, you can do it naturally and not even have to think about it in a stressful situation. So you can make, the thing I'm trying to get across to everybody is when it comes time to make a decision 
and a very quick decision that is going to, it could potentially cause injury or death. We make them every day. Mm-hmm. It's a, a good practice to make a better decision just to breathe, even if it's just once to yes. hold that space so you can make a more clear decision that might save your life. Uh, or lives around you. Or lives around you. Right? Because if you are the beacon of calm and light in a shitty situation, mm-hmm. people will look to you. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's Ryan doing? What's Brian doing right now? Oh, he's calm and focused. Everything must be okay. And this might not even be, this might even just be if you're a leader, like a crew foreman or a crew leader, and you're coming up against something where you've got to make a, you've got to make a decision taking that breath so you can make a more clear decision because you're putting your crew into that work, into that job. You're sending them into, you know, I hate to use the analogy battle. It's a little bit different, but you're sending them into that, do that job. Let's just make sure it's the right decision or as, as, as best a decision as you can make and doing something like breathing prior to making the decision could really impact the outcome of that decision. Totally true. And just like we talked about with the explosion diagram, the pre, the, the emergency and the post, the critical thing to being able to leverage a single deep breath to have its effect is to study the breath, to make it a practice, a morning practice, an everyday practice, right? So for me, every day for, I think it's 519 days in a row or 515 days in a row, I'll have to check. Uh, my day doesn't start until the breath work happens. And that way when my partner's like, hey, we need a chat. Okay. Cool. What is it? You know, and often it's a trigger that she has, but if I'm not calm, it's like my problem. Like I'm not enough. Right. That's the old story. But if I'm calm enough and collected enough, I can actually hear what the thing is. We have a chance of solving the thing or with a client or with a leader, right? The clear communication. So here's the thing, right? So uh, world-class, coaches are world-class listeners and in order to be a world-class listener one must become a world-class breather thank you mark england yes right so so substitute the word coach for you know uh team leader or you know whatever the incident commander's name is right for for your industry right yep <sighs> calmly breathing now for any of you involved with sales right? Running a business, the calmer I am, the calmer my client is. And if I'm calmly breathing when I go to ask for business or the next step or ask for a commitment, we could, we get a perfect rapport for the first 45 minutes. And when I start to panic around what the close is, it takes as little as three minutes for somebody to be like, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to need to think about that. What's going on? The calmer you can be is always better. You're going to keep everybody around. You're going to keep your crew in a calmer state, which is going to help them make better decisions as well. Yeah. It affects mindset too. It does. So, so calm isn't, isn't the only answer, right? There's a, there's a time for excitement. There's a time for like raising alarm and like, okay, when Ryan Lucas is like losing his shit, uh, we need to move right? Like get off the X. I don't care about your bedside matter. Like let's go. Right. And then, you know, if we have 10 seconds, so there's a story about, uh, Apollo astronauts 
and they do a ton of uh, mental hardening, right? Yeah. And so um, the question was, if you had 10 minutes left of life and you knew you were going to die, how would you spend your time? How would you spend your time if you had 10, 10 minutes of life left in a space Ten, capsule? In a space capsule? Yeah. I would enjoy the scenery if there was any. Cool. Um, a lot of folks say they would call their loved ones. And, you know, in the, uh, the Apollo program, the astronaut program, how they would spend their time, they'd spend nine minutes working the problem and 60 seconds solving it. There's no time for sentiment. There's no time for self-pity. Let me work the problem. Let me understand the problem as well as I can and give myself time to work the solution. That's how they would spend their 10 minutes because, man, they're mission focused on getting home. Hmm. That's super interesting. I like that analogy. Yeah. Um, mindset and mental toughness. You just talked about that a little bit. What do you do to train, uh, train that? Uh, live life, uh, paying attention. Uh, it'll happen. <laughs> right. Um, now granted there's a quite a bit of training having I've been through just in my experience. I don't know if this is the only way this has happened. But there's been catastrophic life setbacks for me. I call them avalanches, right? Mental toughness is in that. How can I find gratitude even when I'm buried alive in an avalanche? And, you know, um, you know, I came up doing CrossFit. I came up suffering on a bicycle, you know, riding for Drexel cycling team, agony, right? Love the way it sucked. And then I discovered Wim Hof. I found the breath. I found uh, practice in making a ton of adrenaline and just sitting with it. Nothing to do, just be with it. Right. And when the air hunger comes up is another opportunity to play and dance with the eclipse of fear and love. Right. How can I practice being uncomfortable, even in the breath? I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Right? If I pass out, I know that my body will take a terminal gas and there's no chance of brain damage. The body just knows how to do that. Right. And then we start adding things in like ice and then language. Right. And how can I find calm, easy breathing when my body's like, dude, we talked about this. Uh, no, like too bad. We're going to work through this. We're going to find joy in here. Mm-hmm. And if you find joy in ice, you can find joy anywhere, right? It teaches transcendence. And we got into plant medicine, right? Uh, Sananga, the eye drops, which feel like corneal abrasions. Why would somebody do that? Because the path to truth and enlightenment is there, right? But the price usually is pain, not suffering, just pain. When we can relax, the pain goes away. So pain and fear operate on the same channel. So the more afraid I am about the pain being worse in the future, the worse it will be, right? Brian McKenzie with uh, CrossFit Endurance and all the work he's done with XPT, he whispers this mantra, I'm unscared, unscared, right? He counts his breaths, right? Come back to the breath, even when it hurts, right? Even when the muscles are screaming, when the tightness is happening. So notice I didn't say pain, I said screaming, yeah. Do on me, right? I'm noticing lactic acid in my muscles. No story, observation, right? I've got this, right? And so we learn to be with uncomfortable situations. I practice in massage therapy, doing the breath work when my massage therapist is standing with her feet on my thighs. And when I stop the breath practice, the pain comes back, right? So the breath and practicing transcendence, right? In the physical, and I'm spending a lot of time on the physical because we can control that. Right? We, can, we can go into the darkness, um, and the farther we go into the darkness, the more capacity we create for bliss and light. Right? 
And I found in my journey that by being physically uncomfortable in heavy Fran or doing half Ironman races or hill climbs on the bike, cold exposure, all of that stuff is the preparatory to do the deep, painful, emotional work. It's the pre. Heavy, heavy, heavy reps for the heart and soul. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so this ties into um, managing fear in the in your personal life, like going through big, life changing things. Um, <laughs> talk about that side of it. This is nervous laughter, by the way. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> uh, I'm curious where this conversation will go, and I'm I'm willing to go there. Well. I, it's more and more, it's more and more relevant. Like I know a little bit of your story. It's um, this part, like divorce is similar to me as well. Um, it's something that line workers uh, for some reason, it follows us. <laughs> it's something. You know what, you know what EOD stands for? <laughs> no. no. Everyone's divorced. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get divorced until after I got out of the Navy. That's, that's pretty much uh, line work is like too. It's like a pre prerequisite to have a tattoo and be divorced at least once. Um, it's horrible. I, I don't know. I kind of giggle at it, but it's, it's not funny. It's, it's something yeah. that's terrible, but um, it's, it can be a lot of, there can be a lot of fear that comes up to get through or even come up against these things that you got to decide on in your personal life. So what, again, are things we can do, same sort of things, but relate that to like personal decisions and working through that? Can you ask that another way? I have what I want to share, but I want to make sure I'm answering your, your question. Say I got to like, say I have a personal decision. I have to, I have to have, I have to have a conversation. Like I have to have a, I have to tell my wife that I want a divorce. How, how do you do that? Like it's, it's scary. There's fear there. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you my experience with saying that exact line, not saying it, but like feeling it and knowing that was the, that was the answer. Mm -hmm. So let's rewind nine months. I, uh, I did a Cambo uh, retreat with Bledsoe and Mark England and, and Rick McCoy and Avery Wood and Ashley Bledsoe. And my intention going into that retreat was what do I do with my marriage? And when I was quiet, when I was doing self-care under the uh, influence of medicine, my guide whispered to me, not yet. There's more for you to learn. Okay. I'm the fear sherpa, right? I thought that meant that I got to help Jessica with her relationship with fear. I got back, talked about it. She said, I don't ever need what you're offering, right? Uh, it doesn't apply to me. I don't have any fear. Okay. Got it. And the voice was right. And I was right in that I would teach her about changing her relationship with fear. It would happen instead of me actively leading that, it would happen in the vacuum after I left. The pain would cause her to start doing hypnotherapy and whatever else she needed to do to be able to be with that. Right. And I remember the day, man, uh, I had just finished a marketing funnel uh, for my coaching program. I was getting click funnels to finally work. I hate that software, right? Um, Russell Brunson, thank you for everything you've ever done for me in terms of ideas, but click funnels is not my favorite, right? And it works for a lot of people, right? So I apologize. Um, but I finally figured it out. And for like two seconds, I got to see the woman that I fell in love with, right? 
And then it was, when are you going to get another client? You know, how are you to your goal of 65,000, uh, your first year of coaching? And that was the terms that I agreed to, right? I was going to earn 65K, which was half my, what I was making as a medical salesman, right? Base uh, for us to continue on this journey. I wasn't anywhere close. And she started getting on me for something else. Uh, and I was just like, I need to get out of this. And I remember gripping the earth. I took a deep breath and I said, Jessica, I want a divorce. Just like that. Wasn't mean. Just matter of fact, she goes, are you sure you don't want another night to sleep on that? I've been wrestling this for nine months. I'm clear what I want. And she goes, all right, cool. I'll start, I'll separate the checking accounts. This is after being married for nine years and together for 14. I'll separate the checking accounts. Cool. So in retrospect, as I went through my first avalanche with the Navy and leaving my, what I thought to be my dream job, it wasn't. What I'm doing now is my actual dream job, but I needed to stumble through that avalanche first. That's some story reframing. Thank you, Mark, right? Uh, and if you guys haven't done vocabulary or in Lifted, careful, it will change your life and the lives of those uh, that, that you care about. Change your stories, you know, we, we, the real, uh, pandemic right now is that victimitis. I'm a victim. This is all happening to me, right? And I was very much in that victim story. So I was talking to my uncle uh, about the divorce and he knew about my book and my work. And he goes, how wonderful. When you wrote the book, um, you know, you were the chef making an incredible meal, right? You get to eat that meal now. You get to refine it further. What a gift. Yeah. And it was awful, right? Yeah. The, the un unnarling of our of our of our roots right breaking this to me this sacred bond right of, of holy matrimony right really painful and i had all the tools and it still sucked like a lot right and i don't know how people make it through without these tools yeah yeah i talked a lot about language um in the last probably 10 10 to 12 episodes since I've been learning more and more about language and thank you, Mark England and Bledsoe for Adam Shin, who no one knows about, but he is the, yes. Uh, yeah. Hundred percent. Um, in how your whole life can change and will change when you start to talk to yourself differently and start to talk to others differently and use different language. Mm. Um, it, it factors into all of this that we're talking about for sure. Okay. Talk about taking, taking big risks in order to gain big results. I mean, the bigger the fear, the bigger the reward, right? Roger. Uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, you know, I, I, just, I just have some adages and mindsets around the big risk, the big reward, right? Um, and, and really the big rewards, right, are a thousand thousand little steps along the way, practicing these things, the seemingly meaningless things that no one else sees, like, like that's true courage, right? Leaving my, my medical sales job, leaving the Navy, you know, deciding to get out of my marriage for safety, right? The macro things, done deal, right? I got that, right? Picking up the phone and calling someone I'm scared to invite to take a look at what I'm doing, you know, in the money coaching and the money system education business, right? That's the thing that no one else sees. And so in the moment when it really matters, 
we're, we're either going to have this to say or not, we're going to be weighed and measured, right? And either we did the work or we didn't, right? And every damn day we have the opportunity to look that man, there's a mirror right behind me, look that man in the eye. And do I see a man I admire, right? That did his best, that showed, that showed the fuck up, right? Or, or, or did, did I negotiate the price? I know what my dreams cost. Am I willing to pay the price, right? Am I willing to do the hard thing? Sometimes it's the easy thing, right? Sometimes it's like, no, I need to take a day and just recover. That was yesterday. A guilt-free recovery day was freaking awesome. I took a bath, I sat by the fire, read a book. Like, it was awesome. Yeah. And I'm so sharp today, right? So that's, well, an, that's, an important, that's an important piece of the whole equation, taking time for yourself, taking a recovery day, whatever you want to call it. That introspection time is, is a big deal. You need to take time for yourself. So you can show up better in life for everybody, who, for yourself. Who gets to give you that? You do. You do. The only person. Yeah. Because the alignment job, the Navy, the yeah. marriage, kids, the business, it will suck you dry mm-hmm. if you let it. You know, that's the stuff that like 40-year-old heart attacks are made out of. Mm-hmm. And in all of that, if we're feeling resentment, like that's what the stuff that like cancer is made out of. Yeah. I think cancer is an emotional disease. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways it is part of that. Like I'm not ignorant to science and those things, sure. but like the self cancer is a self care disease. Heart disease is a self care disease. Yes. hundred percent. And, and yeah. that's a real pandemic <laughs> right now, especially in America. Yes. Yeah. The, the victimitis and mm-hmm. you know, and, and where does the lack of self care come from? Right. It comes from not feeling worthy. Right. When, you, when we look at animal studies about how compliant owners are with their pets and their meds, they're like 100%, 100% uh, compliant in giving their pets medicine that they need. Right. I'm not a huge fan of medicine. I, I mean, like there's, there's a place for prescription drugs and, and those things. And, you know, but there's so much more about sleeping and eating and drinking and playing and uh, having great food and great sex and making things that matter. Right. Those are all medicines along with sunlight and breath. Right. And, um, man, we don't give ourselves those things because we don't feel worthy, right? Humans are about 60%. Americans at least are about 60% compliant on their meds. That's only this, the surface level. Let me fix the symptom. Like, are you drinking water? Are you sleeping? Like all of the things. And, uh, Ryan Walla is a colleague of ours. Um, for those of you listening, he asked us this question at the last men's retreat. Where does the heart pump blood first? A lot of people say to the lungs, it's a good answer, right? That's the second place. But in order for the heart to function, it's a muscle like any other muscle. The heart takes the first 10% of that oxygenated nutrient rich blood and gives it to itself. I imagine there's a lot of men listening to this right now. A lot of providers, people who are in their masculine, even if you're, even if you're a woman, right? Maybe, maybe you are the provider, right? But if we're constantly sharing from an empty cup, we're going to lose. We'll become resentful, right? Yeah. It, will be, it will come from a martyr place and it won't be freely given because it's not extra, mm-hmm. right? So when we give ourselves first and we do that first, it's the Jim Rohn quote, I will take care of me, Ryan, for you. If Ryan, you will take care of you for me. It's, it's a, it's a big part of all that pre-work. Like, so you can show up for yourself, for your family, for your coworkers, show up in life, 
you just got to do the work, but the work is work on you. Give it yourself is, yep. that. And that work can be recovery, can be rest and allowing that to happen. It can be. <clears throat> and so uh, one of the mantras I write out every morning is I risk hearing no so I can say yes to me and my kingdom. Hmm. Good stuff. I love it. Hey, one more thing before we start to wrap this up, I want to talk more of or a little bit about um, relationship to money. It's something that uh, myself, line workers, I, I know have a really funny relationship with money. Um, not exactly sure where I want to go with the question, but give you some context to the life that we live. We come into, we come into money in abundance uh, really fast and then it goes through peaks and valleys. So we'll have times of abundance and then we have times of struggle, almost like Valley, like you can't find it. It work dries up or you can't get on that big job or you have a life change, some big change in your life where you cannot work say on the road and go earn the big dollars. You have to come back to reality and that adjustment and that relationship with money is a bit skewed. So, um, like I said, I'm not sure if you have anything to talk about on this. I, I'm not sure exactly where to go with the question, but I just know that, um, yeah, get your take on relationship with money. So there's a great book. It's called uh, Money Master the Game, written by Tony mm. Robbins. He interviews like Ray Dahlia, mm. uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, awesome. Yeah. In true investigative journalism on what are the unwritten rules of money that like that Yale's endowment fund worth billions are doing. Right. All that has to do with mitigating risk, right? That's a big portion of all of it. Right. But before we can even get to the money relationship, we have to talk about breakthroughs, right? So how long does a breakthrough take? So a lot of people will say like 10 years, a lifetime, right? It may take that long to come to the realization. And here's the thing, right? If you want to make major changes in your life, if you want to see major changes in the world around you, the fear of staying the same has to be greater than the fear of change for any change to happen. Right. And when you have that moment of realization, that's a breakthrough moment. Right. Um, so the three major areas for breakthroughs, right. It's health, wellness, relationships before all the rest of them is money. This is a really important conversation. Right? And for me and my work, Hey, do you want to work on the relationship with fear? No, that sounds freaking terrible. I don't want to do that. Cool. How would you like to have more money? Yeah, cool. Cool. Let's do that work, right? We're going to do language work. We're going to do breath work. We're going to, we're going to establish systems, ways, and it's not how much money we make. That doesn't matter. I mean, it's important, right? It's how much we get to keep. So what are the known risks, right? 85% of living benefit term policies um, for insurance are paid out catastrophic injury, right? Terminal illness, uh, 85% of those, right? So that's a known risk. Let's put protection in place, right? Uh, taxes, right? You guys are taxed harder than we are, right? In Canada. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do we mitigate tax burden? We know that's going to be a thing. Mm. And the third thing, right? We know that the market's going to correct every seven to 12 years. Mm. What do we have in place for those things? Right. And when the market's tanking, kind of like when I'm screaming to the earth at 200 or 120 miles an hour, probably not the best time to write an emergency procedure, huh? <laughs> yeah, not at all. So there's three things with any breakthrough, right? So, so first and foremost, it's what system are we following? We need a system, 
right? And a lot of the things about money for a lot of reasons have been hidden from the general public. It's no accident that your lineman, it's no accident that my transitioning veteran doesn't know these rules because they're hidden. They're hidden in places like, okay? The difference is the ultra wealthy teach their kids how to do this and they don't teach this in school. That came out of school in 1904. Stop, stop teaching uh, money in uh, yeah, 1904. And what's the reason? We needed factory workers. Right? Yeah, 100%. I'm not going into that. That's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on just that idea. <laughs> and yeah. why, right? So we've got systems, right? So we have the system. We need to take massive action, right? So, so having knowledge without applying it, uh, we actually haven't learned a thing until behavior has changed, right? So if we learn the thing, why can't we take action directly? <clears throat> Mindset. Back to being worthy, right? Am I, type, am I the kind of man, business owner, lineman, uh, special operations officer, right? That worthy of attracting these things. Most people will say, no, I don't deserve that, right? That has to change. Yeah. The inner guard in here must change in order to attract the outer. So within, so without, right? And that's the language work. That's the self-care. That's the learning from, that's the being kind. Are we talking to ourselves in a way that we would talk to our friends? Probably not. Yeah. And grace. Yeah. Kindness and grace. Right. We're doing the best that we can. Being a human's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude. Gratitude. How yeah. is this? What is this teaching me? Yeah. Amazing. And that's where, that's where my coaching work comes into play right there. Right. Mm. System stuff. Easy. Right. But are you willing to do the work, take the massive action because you're worth it? Yeah. You know, when was the last time you dreamed? When was, when was the last time we put that on paper? What do your dreams cost? Right. The yeah. dream architect financiers is what I'm making in my agency. Right. Talk a lot about goal setting and how you have to set that goal in order to even start with building a framework or building um, a roadmap or an understanding of how to even achieve that. You have to know what it is and you have to write it down, <laughs> set it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just finished uh, listening to uh, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, his interview on Such a good episode. Oh, I just listened to that last night. So good. I read the uh, greatest salesman in the world last night. Pat, oh. Pat too. And now I'm on the first scroll, right? And then throw off the skins of failure, right? Yeah. Drink it in, right? Show up yeah. every day. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, talk about, uh, I've had you for an hour now. Talk about your book a little bit and then talk about where people can go to find you, ask you questions and chat with you. Yeah. So I'm really proud of this. So this is, um, three red moleskins worth of work over the course of nine years. Good for to you. Distill down the wine, the elixir, uh, that I shared in my book. I wrote that book for me. I didn't know that at the time. I thought I was writing it for you. I was writing it for me. And, uh, there's a lot of lessons in there that were hard earned, you know, heartbreaking, uh, soul crushing, loss of identity, uh, those types of things. And it was inspired by two ideas from uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, if you haven't read that book, read that book before you read mine. Uh, you know, know, the, know the source, right? And Victor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. He founded Logos Therapy while in the concentration camp, literally hell on earth. 114110 is his prison number, right? I want to get that on all my watches to remind myself like, bro, you have it all. Go be uncomfortable. 
And the two ideas from there were there's a space between stimulus and response. And as in this space, we have our only freedom and it's our freedom to choose. So I got to decide what happens next, right? And the second thing I learned is if, we, if I can become the observer, um, I'd even find my life's work, right? So everything around fear is around widening the wedge between stimulus and response. And I've got a lot of tools in that book of how I do that, how I did that in my military career, how it applied to sales and how it applied to life, right? That's in there. Um, you know, and the book is about going from being buried alive, right? In life's avalanche to soaring. I'm soaring. I made it to the other side of the chasm. Thank you for the space to declare that. It's been a hell of a road, right? And, and maybe you're in a place where, you know, the avalanche thing doesn't resonate with you you know, catastrophic life change, injury, divorce, loss of career, those types of monumental things, right? Hey, that doesn't apply to you. Great. I guarantee you there's somebody in your life that's going to go through that. Learn how to show up. True courage is being with another man as he's weeping instead of like, Hey man, throw some dirt on that. Like get back out there. That's the stuff that suicide's made out of, right? Like we're saving people's lives by teaching people how to listen helping them with their story, calling them out on the victimness, right? And uh, walking shoulder to shoulder. That's why it's called fear Sherpa, right? Not fear Porter, not carrying you, right? But Sherpa has a really special name and really the vision of the book, right? Was to encourage a community of game changers, right? Supporting each other as we climb life's scary mountains. And the second meaning for Sherpa, right? So the first, everybody knows, you know, they're the guides on Everest. I mean, that's their backyard. That's their sacred, holy place, right? And, and we're visitors, right? As, as, you know, from where we're from. The other meaning of the word Sherpa is synonymous with like Apache, Navajo, Blackfoot. It's the name of their tribe. So I picked that word specifically for people who go to the most dangerous places in the world. For us, it's this direction, right? Into the heart, especially as men, right? And forging a community of fellow Sherpas that help each other. Right. That's what we found in the strong coach community and training camp for the yeah. soul and everything else that we're building. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a and well, let me just ask you this question one more time. You know, when is the best time to write an emergency procedure? Right now. Right now. You're listening to a podcast. <laughs> yeah. What are you scared of? Write yeah. it out. Put it on paper. See the edges of that shit. Right. It's yeah. a 10 pound kitty cat throwing up an 800 pound tiger shadow or a liger. Liger's way. <laughs> Yeah. And if you support with that, there's a whole community of us that do this type of work. Specifically, what I help with is helping people change their relationship to fear. A lot of people don't raise their hand to that. There's a couple, and I salute you, right? That's really courageous. Hmm. If you want to change your relationship to money, you're going to have to change your mindset, right? There's no two ways about it. If you want to live a rich, abundant life, you got to do the breath work, got to do the story work, got to believe that you deserve that. And once you create that attraction, it can't be stopped. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for talking to us, sharing your wisdom. Uh, I learned so much from these episodes. I, I learn. I, I feel like I'm just a learner in these. And I, I'm so happy to be able to facilitate these conversations and get them in front of my tribe. So yeah. thanks. Yeah. Uh, easiest way to reach out to me if you want support, if you want to learn more, uh, you can always go on Amazon, just type my name in. It's my favorite party trick right now. Brian Muka, B-R-I-A-N-M-U-K-A in Amazon. My book comes right up. There's a guy uh, base jumping on the cover, you know, ripping through life's challenges is, is the 
the reason for the cover art. So check it out. And then uh, just shoot me a direct message on Instagram. Vera Sherpa, Brian, the break, breakthrough a day, Muka. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So either place would be the best way to reach out. And the book is called Your Secret Superpower, Tame Fear to Thrive. So awesome. Such a good name. I wrote Thanks it for we. Yeah. yeah, man. Thank you, Brian. Uh, welcome. Thanks, Brian, for being a part of the show and coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with all of us. Appreciate the heck out of it. Okay, guys, if you'd like to help support Powerline Podcast, help support the show, help me continue to bring you guys the content that you love, then hit up powerlinepodcast.com slash store. It's one way you can help support the show. It's well into fall, almost hitting winter, especially up here in the north. I've got 18 styles of hoodies on the website right now, guys. Powerlinepodcast.com slash store. 18 styles of hoodies. Lots of color choices. Lots of graphic choices. A good majority of the graphics are high quality heat transfer. Silk screened onto a heat transfer. I send away for those. that I get them here and I do all the pressing myself. High quality shirt. High quality transfer. The other ones are direct-to-garment printing. Any of the ones with a little more color are our DTG direct-to-garment printing on the hoodies and the t-shirts. So get on there, have a look at the hoodies, have a look at the t-shirts, have a look at uh, the hats. I got, oh, next week should have a uh, new design of hats launching on the website and also beanies for this winter season. So don't miss that. Check that out. I've got styles and designs for everyone. So like I said, if you like the content and you want to help support the show, I would really appreciate you jumping on to powerlinepodcast.com slash store and have a look at what I got on there, guys. I've got all kinds of sticker options on there as well. Uh, I've got some posters. I've got a really awesome book on there written by an engineer named Peter Catchpole. I actually had him way back at the beginning. I believe it was like episode 10 i want to say of powerline podcast and peter catchpool was um, designed and i played a big role in designing and and constructing the commando kitimat transmission line the big uh, cantonary systems they're like one in the world type deals super awesome he wrote a book on it i got the book on the website it's really reasonable price get on there and check that out it's called a story of the engineering of the commando kitimat transmission line like i said i got lots of stickers on there it's coming up to um, the holiday season i got a gift card option on there you guys can check that out shaker cups and yeah like i said if you want to support the show uh you'd be doing me a huge favor so get on there powerlinepodcast.com slash store check out the goodies okay guys till next time i love you appreciate you play safe be your brother's keeper peace